ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier, and along with Kate Spencer, I host Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. Join us every Wednesday with guests like author Phoebe Robinson, chef Samin Nosrat, actress Busy Phillips, and even former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. On Mondays and Fridays, we have mini episodes where we answer listeners' questions on everyday problems like how useful a butt mask really is, how to deal with a petty friend, or how to relax after a long day. So join us Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Forever 35, where we're not experts, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. So it's our uh, bonus episode of Books of the Year with Robert Harris. Uh, Act of Oblivion is his book. You can find our chat with uh, Robert uh, exactly where you found this. You probably listened to it already, uh, but Robert is still with us just to take uh, – it's a slightly different questionnaire to the one he faced last time. Uh, so pr- see previous Q&As for details. But the first question, Robert, the answers can change, so we're going to stick with this one. What is the last book that you really, really enjoyed? Um, I have uh, read the Chips Channon Diaries, the third volume of this monumental um, uh, production. It's about the size of um, Proust. Um, and uh, I'm always, I'm addicted to diaries and journals, letters, things that are just where people just speak directly to you and not mediated through historian or biographer. And uh, I, I, I just, I mean, he's a pretty repellent, person, snobbish, uh, anti-Semitic, ridiculous in many ways. But nevertheless, you enter his world, the world of this Tory MP, um, and the diaries run from um, sort of the end of the First World War through to the late 1950s. He's homosexual. He has a long affair with uh, Terence Rattigan, the the famous playwright. It's just a fascinating insight into politics at that time, high society, and and the, this kind of gay culture, which is frankly thriving in, in a way that is remarkable when you consider it was punishable by imprisonment. Anyway, I really love that book, and uh, I it's it's it gives me enormous pleasure. Robert, is there a, a, an idea in a book that you wish you'd come up with? So I, I think we're maybe maybe it's a character, maybe it's a plot line, or or even you know the the, the location of the, of the of the book itself. Is is there one where you've you've been reading and you've thought, goodness of me, I wish I'd come up with that? Yes, because of this, um, I love I have for diaries. I'm. Um, very envious of William Boyd for having written Any Human Heart, the kind of dramatised uh, or fictionalised diary, which sort of brings together all these sorts of diaries. There's a touch of Chips Channon in it and uh, Harold Nicholson and all the great diarists. Um, and he follows this character through his long life in a, in a, in a mock diary. And it's a great literary form because if you can get a first-person narration right... That is my favourite form of writing because every word, every sentence uh, is, says something about the character. 
and everything is made up. And uh, that is a book that I, I, I mean, I wish I could have uh, thought of that first. Um, but uh, uh, Will got there ahead of me. Just as a just as a sidebar question, Robert, why why do you like the first person narration so much? It's um, it's very economical. Uh, it's like taking a torch into a darkened building and just shining it on whatever th- thing that is relevant as you pass through the building. You don't have to bother describing the everything else. You can just describe what is important for the narrative. That's one reason. And it was, for instance, uh, very useful for me when I wrote my books about Cicero, that um, I could just describe this whole world from one po- through one pair of eyes. Um, uh, so it's, it's very useful. It means you can sort of and you can address the reader directly. And sometimes in that uh, trilogy, you know, um, uh, the uh, narrator, Tiro, the slave, says, um, the next two years were boring, so I won't bother to describe those. Uh, <laughs> and you can completely get away with that uh, if you have first person. Um, also, you have um, the, the option to have a, an unreliable narrator uh, so that the uh, reader only at the very end realises there's something a bit strange about this. And uh, I did that uh, in The Ghost, another book of mine, which was first person, narrated by the the, the ghostwriter of, uh, of an ex-prime minister. Uh, and of, An Officer and a Spy, similarly, was um, first person narration, the only book that I've ever written, in, actually, in the pre- present tense, which I find very irritating, usually. But if it's a first person narration and it's supposed to be French... I think you can get away with it better uh, first person there. Do you work best with deadlines, Robert? Yes. I uh, am obsessed by uh, deadlines. Um, I worked as a journalist. Uh, I was a columnist. If you're a columnist, and I, which I was on the Sunday Times and the Daily Telegraph, there's a space waiting set aside in the newspaper uh, which you have to fill by three or four o'clock in the afternoon or seven o'clock in the evening if you're Boris Johnson, <laughs> um, who used, was, used to drive all the editors in crazy by filing so late. And uh, I realised that the columns that were best, the ones that sort of were most memorable insofar as they were, were the ones I had to make up, you know, like tell it, like being pushed on to do a stand-up routine at a club. But, you know, you, you, you just have to rely on your wits and some, and actually, in that adrenaline fear, you see things much clear, more clearly, and people uh, respond. And so, I think it's very good if you can write a novel and keep that sense of fear and keep that sense of adrenaline to, to enable you to see things which otherwise you wouldn't. And um, so, I try to start a book in, the, in January and finish it in June, and that means I have to write, say. 15, 20,000 words a month, which is not an insuperable task, um, but you have to, you know, you can't afford to, to let it fall behind. And, and there's nothing more easy to put off uh, than writing, be it writing a letter or, or certainly writing a book. Um, and this way you can't put it off. You have to get up each day and do something. And I work seven mornings a week, really. I'd stop at lunchtime. Um, but this this suits me. It's not a me- means of com- com- 
you know, composition that would suit a lot of people, I know. Some writers say, oh, I'd I, you know, I like to write the first draft, then I realise what the book's about, and then I start all over again. For me, that would be a nightmare. When, when you're reading um, books, Robert, do you prefer short chapters or long chapters? I'm read, There's a few books I'm reading at the moment, one of which I'm really enjoying, but I find myself that the chapters just race past, and I actually find myself thinking I'd, I'd really like more detail in that. What, what's your feeling on that? It sort of depends, really, on the style of the book and, and what it's what it's telling, um, what tale it's telling. Uh, I, I, most of my books have chapters of about probably about 3,000 words, something like that. Um, And I like to finish a chapter, certainly finish a chapter a week if I can. And um, in the way that I work, it's I, I then show it to my editor so that it's, I'm like Dickens doing a book in Mm. installments really so all, most of my uh, novels have that roughly that length of, of chapter which seems to me about right i don't write really short chapters it's a bit like a sort of chinese meal isn't it sort of you know you're constantly <laughs> it's not quite very it's not very nourishing really i think i think you need a decent length for a chapter do you have uh, a favorite tv or film adaptation of a book it's the kind of thing that you might change your opinion on from from year to year, maybe, but is there a, a TV or film adaptation, either of yours or maybe some other uh, authors, that you would immediately think, yes, that's my favourite? Um, by and large, adaptations are not as good as the original source material. I once, the rudest question I ever had, I was doing a charity event for uh, schools in Afghanistan. Out of the goodness of my heart, I was being interviewed um, <laughs> uh, by Clive Anderson, a nice uh, man, and uh, we, he'd interviewed me and then we took questions from the audience and a man got up and he said, would the speaker agree with me that Enigma is a rare example where the film is better than the book? <laughs> sat down. Even Clive Anderson said that was the, that was the rudest thing he'd ever heard. Um, so, uh, by and large, I don't think that adaptations are as good as uh, the original source material. There are some exceptions. I mean, notably, I suppose, The Godfather, uh, which isn't a bad novel, but the, its superlative quality is uh, the acting and the direction of Coppola. I think that's probably those, The Godfather Part 1 and Part 2 are the best uh, adaptations I can think of uh, of a work of literature off, off the top of my head. How many books do you tend to get through, as in reading, a month, uh, Robert? I know, for, speaking for myself at the moment, September is always really busy. I'm involved in um, uh, judging the William Hill uh, Sports Book of the Year Prize, and basically in September I expect to get through at least 60 books. Um, but for the rest of the year it's, it's probably uh, closer to 10, maybe 20. How, how about you? Well, I have to confess that um, quite often, especially if I'm doing a book a year, I simply swing from one immersion in a subject to another. So I've read literally dozens of books about the uh, English Civil War and America in the 17th century. Um, And before that, uh, you know, I read endless books about the V2 and uh, the bombing of London in 1944-45. Uh, so my reading has become um, rather 
professional, if you like, uh, over the last 20 years, 25 years. I used to read far more novels uh, than I do now. I think partly because I this is my business. I don't tend to read as many novels as I used to, or, or as I should, to be perfectly honest. Um, I, I don't know why that is. I think partly because I'm now so busy uh, in the fictional world that I can... I can sort of see the joins too much. I, 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 you know, I can either be irritated by it or I can be bitterly envious of it. So um, I don't tend to read a lot of novels anymore. Um, but I, I read more nonfiction, I would say. Um, but that's, and as to number, I couldn't really say. I've always got a go, book on the go of some sort. Um, uh, I mean, this summer I read A Gentleman in Moscow for the first time. That's a novel. I, I enjoyed that. Then I read Max Hastings's forthcoming book on the Cuban Missile Crisis, Abyss. Then I read The Chips Channel Diaries. You know, so uh, um, I'm always reading a, one book at a time. I'm not someone who can read two or three at a time, as I know uh, some people do. Recently, I had is a, the final question, Robert. I had a, one of those. Um, if you had your time again kind of questions. And uh, in the course of that conversation, I realised that if I had my time again, I'd quite like to go back to university and study linguistics rather than history, just because I find linguistics an absolutely fascinating conversation uh, and a topic to look at. If you, if you could go back to university, what would you study? Well, um, I ended up reading English, um, I should probably have read history, but I don't regret reading English, not least because it was an easier degree than history, <laughs> I think. Um, but um, I don't regret it because I've read a lot of history since, and I think if I'd been trained as a historian, I might have not had the nerve to take liberties with it as I do for a living. And um, also, there was a great, it was a great thing to read uh, works of fiction that you would never read again, to read things like Middle English, The Grain and the Green Knight, Revenge, Tragedy, you know, lots of... It gave me a kind of grounding in in writing and, a, and the way, the mechanics of how a page or a poem works that, are, that has been very useful to me throughout my life. And I, I, so I wouldn't actually change it. I'm very glad I read English and I'm a great defender of studying English literature and I dislike this constant attack by politicians. It started certainly when I, in the 70s with the Callaghan government, oddly enough, who said, we want more scientists, we want more vocational degrees. And it goes on year after year, and we're having another wave of it at the moment. But I think the study of, uh, of, of your literature, or, or literature generally, is a very enriching thing for a society and for individuals, and it's important. That's why we do the rest of it, so that the science and the and the business, so that people can study the arts, in my opinion. Robert Harris's latest book is Act of Oblivion. You can hear Robert talk about Act of Oblivion in another podcast, exactly where you got this one. You may well have heard it already. And if you haven't read the book, you should, because it's absolutely magnificent. Uh, Robert, we appreciate your time as ever. Thank you very much indeed. We look forward to speaking to you when you've completed your next non-religious work. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Simon. Thank you, Matt. I'm praying that's how it will be. <laughs> Amen. Hold up. 
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier, and along with Kate Spencer, I host Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. Join us every Wednesday with guests like author Phoebe Robinson, chef Samin Nosrat, actress Busy Phillips, and even former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. On Mondays and Fridays, we have mini episodes where we answer listeners' questions on everyday problems like how useful a butt mask really is, how to deal with a petty friend, or how to relax after a long day. So join us Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Forever 35, where we're not experts, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. 